DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and the PK, DJ and PK in the morning, brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Steve Cleveland's going to join us momentarily, talk a little, uh, talk a little jazz basketball here. All right, PK, the Jazz picking up a pair of wins over the weekend. But everybody else in the West kind of clumped around. You, any of these teams, you got any insight in any of them? Who you believe in? Because we talk about, hey, are the Jazz good? Can the Jazz win? Well, what about these other guys? Are they good? Can they win? Uh, the Warriors did what the Jazz did, got off to a great start, had a big lead. Unlike the Jazz, who let the league go down to five, uh, the Warriors fell behind and then rallied one right at the end. And they got the same record as the Jazz. So who you buying? Who are you selling? I mean, they can't all win. Can't have 10 50-win teams. Well, you won't have 50 because you play 10 less games, but you get the point. Well, my, before we get to Steve Cleveland to answer your question, my top four right now after 10-11 games are Clippers, Lakers. Uh, I still believe in the Nuggets, even though they're down a little bit, and then the Jazz. Nuggets have put it together. I mean, they're back to 500 now at 5-5. Yeah. Five and five. But I would have suspected they would have been better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I would expect him to get off to a better start. But uh, I think... Although, in defense, and I want to get to Steve immediately, I think the Nuggets took a little hit because a kid like Grant's now with Detroit. I don't think they're as good as they were last year. Took a hit, and it's an adjustment. Uh, they have won four of five. Um, you know, the, you always have to look at schedule when a team gets hot. Right? Have they been playing good teams? And uh, the Sixers win is a good win. The Mavericks loss, you know, that's another team that could be pretty good in the West. Let's bring in Steve Cleveland, our college basketball insider, but also our NBA insider as well. He talks all things basketball. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, Steve, you've got your, uh, you've got, uh, well, you're like us. The older you get, the more people you know, the more your fandom becomes about people. So, you're in Utah a long time. You know, a lot of people rooting for the Jazz, so you're following the Jazz. Uh, you grew up in California, a Laker fan, so you follow the Lakers. But you coach Paul George, so obviously you're following the Clippers. You got all these loyalties all over the place. Ten games into the season, if you set all these loyalties aside, who are you buying? Who are you a little worried about and think might be a little on the shaky side in the hyper-competitive West? You know, uh, I mean, obviously, I still think the Lakers, and I'll share some reasons for it, but I, you know, I still think the Lakers and the Clippers, just talent-wise and experience, uh, are, are still there. I think that, uh, you know, Utah's recent road trip, uh, some surprising losses and some good wins, uh, but I still believe in them. I, I believe in the systems, the culture, the the talent level. You know, just from what you've seen in the past, Denver is a, a little bit of a question mark. I, I I picked up a little bit on right at the end of your conversation. I think they miss Grant significantly. That athletic guy that from inside outside, he's just everywhere. They do miss him. I think Dallas is kind of underplayed. I mean, really, the kind of for me, watching Golden State, and again, it's a lot of it's who you've played, but they have surprised me. Wiseman seems to be better than people are thinking. Raymond Green's not close to what he can be, but you know, Wiggins has never been able to find a place that you know he really was himself and could play. If there's an environment where he can succeed, I think it's with the Warriors. So for me, the Warriors are, are a bit of a surprise. I, I didn't see this happening. Uh, uh, that, that doesn't mean still, you know, going forward that Denver can't be there. 
But for me, Golden State is, is, is probably the surprise of the NBA right now. Um, it just uh, I just didn't expect it this quick and this soon. And uh, they don't have the depth that a lot of teams have. But certainly they've got a couple of special players. And, uh, and really, you think about NBA basketball, I mean, it, it doesn't matter for the most part. The best thing about being at home is you sleep in your own bed, you have your own environment, and everything's good that way mentally and emotionally for the players. But when you go into the arena, um, you know, that, that no longer has the impact that it's had in the past. And uh, I think that it neutralizes talent to a certain degree. It neutralizes great coaching. It neutralizes the, the home court. You know, when you, you go somewhere, there's not that intimidation. You take the fans out, and it does impact the game. I mean, I haven't analytically looked at this thing, what, what the game looks like with nobody watching versus 20,000. But I think we've all been watching this enough to know that uh, fans make a difference, that environment. And, you know, the thing that everybody thinks it makes a difference for the home team, which obviously it does, but there are teams, when you go on the road, that's, that's when a team is closest together. That's when the team makes most growth. It, it, you guys bond. They come together as us against the world. So even, the, even going on the road and, and not having fans to a certain degree impacts visiting teams as well because I, I just don't think we truly understand. I mean, I know, I know they're competitors and they're professionals and they'll play at their highest level, but I think you play at a higher level. You get inspired to give a better effort, a second effort, a third effort, when there's 20,000 people in the arena. So uh, I, I would agree with kind of what you've been talking about. Uh, I haven't, you know, I mean, there's teams like you real. I, you watch New Orleans just because it's they've got a, you know, they're reconstructing that team and they've got some personality on that team. Uh, Dallas obviously it has the ability to be there and probably will be though. Uh, they, they're missing Seth Curry. I mean, they're missing some of that perimeter shooting that, uh, that they've had in the past. So um, I, I, I go with the ones you're going with. I, I guess we haven't mentioned Phoenix. And uh, long term, can they sustain it? Uh, I don't know, but I, 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 they're going to make the playoffs. I, I, I firmly believe with Chris Paul and, and Booker and, and just the makeup of that team, they, they do make the playoffs. I guess we saw a little bit about that in the bubble. But I don't know if people really believed it was still going to carry over into the conference play. But you know, I guess this league right now kind of looks like the bubble a little bit still. So as far as the Jazz, they have a disheartening loss on Wednesday against the Knicks. They blow a big lead. And then they come back and they beat the Bucks on Friday. And the way I look at it is that I'm more encouraged by the win over Milwaukee than I am discouraged by the loss to the Knicks, knowing that that was a bad loss nevertheless. But I think in the circumstance early in the season, after coming off two losses in the New York area to the Nets and the Knicks, they had a little bit of a gut check time. And they had a little bit of, okay, we got to get this thing back on track. And they did it against a pretty good team in the East. So in my mind, I come away, to this point anyway, more encouraged than discouraged. You know, I I would agree with you. You know, one of the interesting dynamics about teams is that we we try to get people up. And as always a coach, you play certain teams and you know the guys in their mind. They already have a preconceived mindset. You know, we're playing the Knicks. Uh, You know, you look at that game and McDonough scores eight, Conley nine, you know, uh, O'Neal eight. Mitchell's 19, I mean, Clarkson 19. I mean, bad offensive numbers. 
And I think a lot of times mental preparation, you know, obviously are on the road and those things happen, but for, I, I just, that, that was just a mind blower for me to get them go there and win. So, but I do agree with you beating the bucks is somebody they're going to be sky high for. They're mentally and emotionally ready. And, and it carried over and all of the guys scored. Everybody was in double figures. The guys that normally need to be, they shoot 50% from the, th- uh, from the field and 47. I mean, when you make 25 threes on the road, uh, you're, 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 you're dialed in. And, and that's kind of what happened. So I agree that you, you go from that and say, okay, if they can do that against a really good Bucks team on the road, uh, it's, it's encouraging to feel like they're, they're a top four team in the West. Um, and, and I think the key thing for the, all of these teams is, uh, you know, you, you kind of go, before you go through a year, you look at periods of time on the road, who you're playing, and in your mind, you go, okay, these are, these are winnable games. These are winnable games. We just got to come up. We got to make sure we're there. Um, hard, hard to do right now under the circumstances and with, with the protocol, COVID protocol, um, we, we look back, you know, we, we, the COVID put us in the bubble last year. The COVID this year could t- take contending teams completely out of the mix if these things don't get squared away. And uh, so, I, I mean, I've, Seen teams missing five, six players. Besides the injury, I mean, it's one thing to deal with injuries, but to deal with the COVID protocol and have to be out for seven days or ten days or whatever it ends up being, uh, that can be really disheartening, disruptive to a team, and to and there's nothing you can do about it. So I would, I, I can't even imagine being in an organization right now and conversations that are taking place and how this is happening. Is it due to just a, a, a uh, a lack of attention to your environment and where you're going and how you, where you're hanging out. Uh, is it uh, you're spending too much family time and your family's with you, extended family members, I'm meaning, and where have they been? Uh, I think that th- those that survive this thing and are at, at the end, uh, you know, could be, could be, you could be in a situation where because you paid attention to the details of the protocol and that, you put yourself in a better situation and maybe even in a situation, can you imagine if you're in a finals? And, and, and I think, I honestly think if this doesn't get better, we will be back to some kind of bubble. But can you imagine losing four or five significant players to COVID for four or five days? And that being the reason you lost a championship or you lost in a second round or the third round. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen. But, man, early on looking at this thing, you pick up the paper every day. The people are going through it and they're, they're missing somebody. Steve Cleveland joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. As congested as the standings are in the West, the Lakers, you think, are still the best team. Now they got two new starters, three new rotation guys, with Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench but playing a pretty good role. Uh, what have they got that separates them from everybody else and is as easy as just saying LeBron? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think number one, uh, <laughs> when, he's play, when you can – when you're seven foot tall and you can go on the perimeter and uh, you can knock three downs and stretch defenses and then go inside and have a presence, I mean, the combination of those two guys is, is something that's pretty special. I, I, think, I think what they have, I think they've got older guys. I think they have more mature guys. You know, it's not a team of single. There are a lot of married guys on this team that I think in that sense you're not tempted as a single guy to not 
to be where you're supposed to be and not be places you shouldn't be, which impacts the health of the team and the protocol and all that. But uh, I, I think Harold picking him up, that was a huge get. I mean, I, I know the Clippers are still really good, but that guy is something they didn't have. And, and you know, with, with Morris, another tough guy, it gives him depth on the bench. And uh, all of a sudden, his name's the, 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 the young kid that's playing for him, um, and his name escapes me right now, but they're getting a lot of play out of a second-year guy, Tucker, uh, who has given them solid minutes, and Caruso's been hurt, but their bench is, is really good. I mean, we, we like, I like the Lakers when Rondo came in, uh, but, I, but I think with the group they have now, they have more guys that can score, and when healthy, uh, I think they have the most depth of any team in the league, and, uh, and you need it to deal with injuries, to deal with you know, shooting slumps, to deal with COVID. Uh, I think they have more depth. Uh, I, I know they can get exposed. I really do not like the Lakers when, you know, Anthony is, Davis is, is roaming around the perimeter. I, I like it when he starts low. He can be a five and be a presence and just make people come and double him. And then when he does go outside, you know, it's just it, they're a better team. I, I just don't like it when – they start another big, and they do. They'll start Gasol, but Gasol's kind of a perimeter guy. can shoot it. But I like Anthony Davis where he's in a situation that when he's ball screening, he's ball screening into the post and putting more pressure on defenses because sometimes last year in the playoffs, you know, he just kind of settled for mid-range shots and settled for threes sometimes. Uh, I think he has to have a presence in the post. He, he's he's going to be really – they're going to have to double him and I think they've got enough shooters on this team now. Uh, Caldwell Pope seems to be getting a little bit healthier. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, they stay healthy. But I, I think the Lakers can be better than they were last year. And, and I know the Clippers uh, are, are formidable, and I think they're going to be a different team. Um, Paul George seems to be playing better, more and more confidence. I think they're focused. They got embarrassed, you know, worldwide. So they're going to come back and play better. But I still think those are the two teams. And uh, but it's fun to watch the Phoenix teams and the Houston, Utah, Golden State with real, really good talent. Maybe not quite the depth. Uh, I love watching the NBA. I don't. I don't love it watching it with no fans, but it's still fun to watch. I'm going to go out on a limb and pick Gonzaga to win the West Coast Conference. How outrageous is that? <laughs> yeah, boy. I, I've watched them now three or four times, and uh, they have—they kind of have everything. I mean, if it, this is this is the best team he's ever coached, and he's got shooters, he's got athleticism, um, and you know, uh, again, uh, BYU really is St. Mary's and BYU have been the one teams that could compete with them, could beat them. Uh, when I watched the BYU game, I mean, they, you know, BYU didn't quit, but at the end of the day, there's a significant difference between. The talent, the experience, um, you know, you, you got every, anybody coaching these days. I mean, people talk about coaching and say, you know, to get a Division One job, you got to be a pretty good coach. And coaching means more than X's and O's. And what Gonzaga's done to bring special, high, high, high-level players into that community over the years, uh, they've developed something there that's, that's amazing. And uh, so, yeah, but it, I think, I think it's, it's going to be a competitive league underneath that. And, uh, you know, Pepperdine's had a hard time even getting the team together. And uh, I know I, I, I look at my own community here in Fresno, and, you know, they, they had two practice games 
they're playing against teams that have already had played nine and ten games. And I know with a young team, people who have young teams and didn't get practice games, what conference is going to be really hard. And uh, but I, I do like I, I do like Santa Clara. I do like St. Mary's. Uh, I think that I don't think UOP is going to be as as good as they've been. I think some of the teams that struggled last year, Pepperdine should be pretty good. They don't have a lot of depth, but uh, they they've got good scores in, in that group. But I don't think any of them are good enough to beat Gonzaga. Uh, they're good enough to beat each other. And so with a team like BYU, they've got to be ready. BYU's got some weapons and certainly has a ton of size. And guys coming off the bench now are giving them more. So I, I do like BYU's chances if they if they continue to play well. I like them in the NCAA tournament. And uh, and and I think that Gonzaga. I, I haven't watched St. Mary's enough to know. Uh, they're so well coached, but they seem that they're the third most talented team. Them and Santa Clara, and San Francisco. I guess San Francisco had a big win early on. They beat Villanova early in the year. I think it was a, a big upset that they had early mm-hmm. on. But those are probably the top four or five teams. Gonzaga winning it for sure. So, Steve, I think the question is, uh, can Gonzaga go undefeated? Because nobody's done it since Indiana in 1976. So I think we assume they're going to get through the regular season. Can they win the tournament? Yeah, well, uh, they can't win a national championship if uh, once they get out of the league, if they go, go undefeated. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, why, why can't they? I mean, they're, they're, you know, the... the the odds of them doing it are, are not high only because there's injuries, there's COVID, there's so many other things that would make you doubt a little bit. But if there was ever going to be a Gonzaga team that went undefeated, this is the team. And the, the, the advantage, I remember being at the BYU-Gonzaga game last year. And, uh, and I, I was visiting and, and I went to the game and there's 20,000 people there. It was an environment that you know doesn't exist in that conference other than them and Gonzaga. St. Mary's has a good environment, but it's only like 3,500 people. But that that crowd willed that team to win that game. And I don't think that crowd, the lack of that crowd uh, in the WCC at any any of those schools is going to have any impact on beating Gonzaga. Now, Gonzaga has to stay healthy. They've got to stay outside of covid and do those kinds of things. But if there was a team that could do it, this is the team. And nationally, I haven't, I haven't watched a lot of national games and know the, the strengths right now. It's a little early. I'm gonna, I'll watch more games. But uh, they're, they're the best team in the country, and I think they're the best team in the country by you know, 10, 12 points. I mean, I, I do believe they're that dominant. But, hey, when you start talking about undefeated, I don't know if they'll play 30 games this year, but whatever the number is, it's never easy, but it's, it, it's been made easier because they're not going into any real hostile environments uh, where they could get nicked. And, uh, and even if the NC2A is in the bubble, I, I don't know if people are going to be in those games. They're going to have fan base. I hope they do. By April, it'd be fun. But in, a, in the world we live in of, of COVID, I think uh, that lends itself to even Gonzaga's more success because they've got mature foreign uh, you know, U- U.S. players that have been through this, and many of them, two or three of them, could have left and gone for the NBA last year. Uh, I, th- I think you'd say they've got a better chance than anybody else in the country going undefeated. How is it when you face everybody's best shot every night? That's got to be something. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and I know when I had really good teams, it was always hard on the road because the fans do make a difference, and you're not playing in those gyms. Uh, I, I think the biggest adjustment in, in the I think in the WCC is when uh, teams in the WCC come in and play in a big arena like BYU. And I, I watched a lot. I mean, as a coach, I watched it. I saw good teams who couldn't deal with the depth perception of an arena when they were playing in a more like a community college gym or something that held 3,000 or 4,000 people. It, it does make a difference. For Gonzaga, it does. They, every practice game they play, they're on the, they're on the road playing you know, games at neutral sites and big arenas. Uh, and so th- that doesn't impact Gonzaga because that's where they play. But it's, it's fun to watch teams come into big arenas and all of a sudden, you know, they're six for 33. They can't make a three because it just looks different. That's the, that's the biggest difference. I, I give you an example. I went to the state. They had playoffs uh, a, a year ago in California and uh, a year before that, excuse me. And I went to see the games. I went with a friend and two really good teams, but uh, the, the, the best team came into that thing and they ended up going like two for 28 from the three. They were obviously the most talented team. And, but they had great shooters and they, you know, coaching wise, they didn't make a lot of adjustments and they got beat by about an eight seed team. And it was, it was one of those things that being in an arena, you know, where this team was shooting 36 to 37% from the three in a high school gym or in a junior college gym, you, you get that perception, that depth perception. And for young, younger players, 17, 18 year old players, it always takes an adjustment to learn how to shoot in those arenas. Uh, but not for Gonzaga, because that's what they play in constantly. And again, you you take away the fan base. Um, it, it lends itself to Gonzaga doing something special. But yeah, if it is, regardless of all those things that play in their favor, it's still really, really, really hard. And I'm sure they'll have some close games. And and I'm sure there'll be maybe a game or two in uh, in the WCC that might be close on the road, uh, where shots aren't going down, or guys get in foul trouble early, or hey. Somebody gets COVID. Somebody get you know what happens to Gonzaga if they lose two critical players, and so uh, you know hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully it doesn't happen to anybody. But I know in the West Coast, my goodness, you look at all the teams in the Big West, the Mountain West, uh, in 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 the WCC. Look at all the canceled canceled games, and uh, it, it's that's got to be a little difficult for a coaching staff who prepares. I think even Mark. Pope mentioned it. You know, they had been preparing for two teams, and all of a sudden, two days later, they got to go to Gonzaga and do a prep there. And uh, I don't. I think they would have liked more time, but I think they were happy to play the game. And I think it makes BYU better by playing great teams like that. But uh, not, not much about Gonzaga. I don't like. Steve, I prepared for those 20,000 seat gyms by playing at the beach. Once you shoot through the early morning fog when you can barely see the rim from the free throw line, and then once it recedes and it's like a two-mile background, you can pretty much handle anything after that. Hey, I'm telling you, that's the absolute truth. And not very many people uh, that are listening to you today know that. And, and I, I can remember being down at Newport on 33rd there and playing games, and it got windy, and you learned how to shoot there. And uh, down in San Clemente, down, down in Laguna Beach, they have right there are the railroad tracks. They, they've got courts. And, uh, and the funny thing is, you get older guys that, 
you know, they looked like they were homeless to come on the course, you know, and you, you never, 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 never underestimate those guys because you know they've been playing there for 30 years. And uh, they knew how to deal with the moisture of the ball. They knew how to deal with the wind and, uh, and the sun. That is a totally different game. So right on for that, for that contribution. When you're, when you're in the corner and the wind is blowing, you got to aim behind the backboard and you'll switch it every time. No question. No question. I, when I was at Irvine Bland, we played a lot down there. And then when I, we would go to Newport every summer with my family. And so we, when I was younger, you know, we'd play all day long, you know, then just go in the water, come back and play all day long. But it was the best players, you know, in college and high school. And, and literally, you, you lose, you wait 45 minutes to an hour to get into a game again. And, uh, and, and funny now, even in my 60s, uh, I'll pull into Newport, we'll go on 33rd off, off the beach there, and I'll look at the courts and just have my greatest memories of being down at the beach for years with my family uh, is that court and those experiences and occasional fights here and there. Uh, old guys that look like they couldn't play but kicked your butt continually. And uh, so, yeah, beach, beach basketball – down down at the beach is the best, and uh, if you haven't done it, you, you got to go down and try it because it is a different game. Steve, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us every week right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, coming up, we got a lot of you weighing in on the jazz and how things are going. But next, it's the college football title game tonight. It's Bama and Ohio State. And a lot of you have witty things to say about this matchup. We'll see if any of you can crack PK up with it. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Former NFL and Ute great Eric Weddle. You play for a chance at a championship, right? 27 straight years I've played football, and I have zero championships to my name. Now, we did go undefeated in 04, but we weren't number one in the country. We didn't get a BCS championship ring, so that doesn't count. And I never won a Super Bowl, never won a high school CIS championship, never won Pop Warner championship. So that's why I played, and now Every guy that's in the playoffs has a chance to experience that. When a guy holds up that trophy after they won the Super Bowl, you will envision yourself doing that. That's why it's the greatest sport in the world. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Anybody fired up for the college football title game tonight? Hmm, fired up. How worked up are you? And Colin says, sadly, college football is a broken sport, favoring a very few elite programs overrun by money. It has dropped significantly on my interest list. Well, that's an interesting dilemma for me that I face every season because once we start rolling into July, in a normal year, obviously, and I start making uh, reservations to go down to Los Angeles to get ready to broadcast, usually with Scotty or Jake and Hans and myself, man. I just get so pumped. And Yacht gets his first edition of what's the magazine, what's the guy, Phil Steele. And they start coming out. I started looking at them. And I was looking at it ye- just yesterday. I saw a thing, and I made a copy of it on 24-7. They were going through the Pac-12 of uh, defections, who's leaving and whatnot. And I think, man, i got to study this more. So when it comes to Pac-12 and our locals, 
I am so excited. But then when you step back and we get to this point, it's like, uh, yeah, more about the NFL, man. I'm excited about NFL playoffs. College football, it's just a formality for it to end, and we're going to pick one or two teams, or maybe three if you put Clemson in there. They're out this year, obviously. We'll see what they do going forward next year. So we get to the highest level, and I have a blasé attitude. But at the regional and local level, I have all sorts of excitement. So I think for Ute fans, you know, being and, and it, being in a league for this last decade in a new league and the goal of getting to the top of this league has been all-encompassing, has been really energizing, has been a lot of fun, occasionally has been very disappointing and really frustrating, but for the most part has been a blast. And for the most part, it's been really, really exciting, really interesting. But you're right, when you step outside a league, if the league's devalued, and I think the way they judge the leagues is uh, superficial and inaccurate. We had on uh, Bill Bender from the Sporting News this morning, and he was talking about, well, the Power Five leagues, the only one that had a new conference champ this year was the SEC. LSU won it last year and went undefeated and won the national title, and Bama gets it this year. But Clemson repeats, Oklahoma don't, repeats, don't Oregon, Oregon repeats. Oregon didn't repeat. All right, whatever. so you're right because that's a bizarre year. So the Pac-12 doesn't have a champ, so you can't compare it. But Ohio State repeats. You know, there are teams dominating conferences. And so the Utes have this one-of-a-kind well, maybe not one of a kind story because TCU and maybe to a certain degree Louisville did the same thing. But that's really captivated us, you know. They, how do they get into this new league, and then how do they win in this new league? And so that energizes us. So that makes sense when you say, hey, locally and regionally, it gets really interesting. You know, Herm is a very interesting guy. He may win at pretty much the same rate as three or four or five or whatever coaches came before him, but he's interesting. He's energizing. You know, he knows how to talk, and he goes on radio and TV and does stuff for websites, and it intrigues people, and it fires them up. And, you know, maybe the winning and losing won't change at all. He, he just might be another guy going through the ASU, but he's a more interesting guy going through the ASU program. So I get why you're uh, he fired He ought to up. do Dos Equis commercials. <laughs> <laughs> College football's most interesting <laughs> man. <laughs> Don't forget BYU, man. I, I mean, was, I, I was I, getting to that. And they're just, they had as, just as good as interesting and fascinating and exciting season as Utah's had in the Pac-12. And I think it stands out even more because I think Cougar, fi- Cougar fans find it more interesting and more exciting and more energizing. There was a certain amount of ho-hum going on, at least among a segment of the fan base. Some people were probably in it. Uh, you know, if we kind of topped out, can you not go any further as an independent? And... This year made Cougar fans feel different about the program. You know? Absolutely, man. Yeah. They're, they're on top of the world. And that, that's why I think that it's two different things. You have to differentiate between the national and I call it local regional. Because when the Sun Devils are beating the U of A by 63, it doesn't matter that Ohio State's playing Alabama. It, it, who cares? In the moment, you're just going nuts. You turn around and beat your rival – your bitter arch rival by the most the biggest margin ever, and you know you're watching this coach being fired, and those are good times, man, absolutely. So I think fans can differentiate. Just when we get to this point, it's kind of a ho-hum nature. Now we'll all watch. It's a Monday night in the 
starting to get in the middle of January here. It's not like we got a whole lot of other stuff that are it's going to divert our attention. So we'll check it out. And at least this year has an opportunity to be entertaining because Alabama's offense, my gosh, it's prolific. And we saw the capability of Ohio State. So rather than that, what was that one year? It was like 6-3 to three or something. Well, it was at LSU and Alabama, you <laughs> yep. know, and it was just boring as all get out. Well, this year it shouldn't be that. And then you're always looking for the explosion of Nick. You know, one when does Nick, Nick lose night. it? <laughs> Nick's explosion at night. You know what I mean? That wasn't yeah. a discussion. That was a butt chewing. <laughs> yeah, although he said ass. You don't oh, did he say ass? ass? He said ass chewing. Ass chewing. Yeah, yep. you, you, you've got your image there, but uh, he did say that. So, yeah. And well, then that's, he has the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty late in a blowout over. Yeah, well, he's just showing to the parents, man, I'm going to coach your kid hard. I'm going to love him up hard. I mean, come on. It's all about uh, the image and how you can build the brand. And he's obviously built it to the highest level. So at a default, I'll have some interest. But it's like it's two separate things now. It's just what can we do here locally and regionally, and regionally being the, the conferences of the Mountain West and the Pac-12 for, for Utah State and, and all that. And, you know, when they're going 11-2 and two and ranked, do they really care that Alabama's playing Ohio State? No, they don't. They're just wallowing in their greatness. They had a couple of uh, 11 and 2 seasons fairly close to one another, right? And that's all the fun. And yeah, there's going to be disappointment. But once you become a, a sports fan, you're inviting disappointment. Of course. You will have it. It's yes. inevitable. Once you decide, I'm a sports fan, I'm into this sport, this team, whatever it might be, you're automatically inviting disappointment into your life. Because you're in it for your entire life, which means you're going to have some form of disappointment. There's just no other way around it. And the Utes had a couple years back a great run, and then they get worked by Oregon. Surprising, but nevertheless, bitterly disappointing. I get all that. But that's part of the game that you know full well. It doesn't cause you to, well, I'm out now. That was too disappointing. Nope. You're still back in when it's time to get back in. So I think the fan bases, particularly ours, speaking all-encompassing, have the ability to separate what we are about versus the national scene. And if you should ever get there, then it'll be all the sweeter. And even if you're for the Utah folks, if you get to the Rose Bowl, but you don't have it be a part of the playoff, it's not really going to matter. Yeah, it'll be sweet. Uh, Alabama, even Alabama fans, deal with disappointment. If they win tonight... It'll be their first national title in three years. So they've been disappointed the last two years. It'll be their first undefeated season since 09. So they've always had the disappointment of losing mm. a game or two. Yeah, but is that really disappointment? Are Alabama fans disappointed? When, I would, uh, say, I when would Clem- say no. When Clemson blows them out 44-16, to 16, yes. And when yeah, but that's they, just but that but that's just temporary. That, that see that that disappointment is inherent to being a fan. Yep, that's what I'm getting Overall, at. Yes, I agree. you're that's you're it. You're having a great time. They're, I don't. I don't just. I don't know if you lose a game that you walk away thinking, "Oh my oh gosh, yeah. this is just awful." I don't see it. Well, but it's disappointing. I mean, it, it's just so, disappointing in the moment. But then you step back and you realize and you had Alabama the SEC and you'll, win. You'll be back. You you beat some good teams. Well, not not, not that you, you're not going anywhere, so you don't have to be back. You're just here all the time. Going back means imply that you left. They haven't left. But if you go 12-1 and one or 13-1 and whatever it is and you lose that final game, you still had huge wins along the way. And that's the great thing about college football. 
it isn't just did you win it all or did you not. And this year you have to throw out because you had great times with family and friends, either sitting at home, going to a sports bar, or if you're fortunate enough to be able to go out the games. And it's more than the result. So I don't, you're disappointed in that particular moment by an hour or two. But then I think you reflect back and you look at all the great things that happened and all the great times that you had. And in your case, all the great food that you consumed at the games and all that. And you put it in perspective. I think College football fans have that, and they can deal with that if you get that loss. Now, that's just for one or two, three teams. The rest of us, we're just taking small little incremental victories wherever we can. For me, it was 70-7. to 70-7, to seven, that's biblical. 70 times 7. That's biblical. That's a bi- we had God on our side when we went down to Tucson this year. <laughs> okay. There you go. I see what you did. You did multiple things. That was well done. But you're right. Everybody's got. I mean, Rutgers is just trying to win a uh, a conference game, right? That, that's Which all. they did. I know, right? And Northwestern is trying to get to a conference title game. Which they did. Right. And so everybody's got the box to check. Iowa State is going to win that conference championship for the first time in 108 years. Which uh, they didn't. No, they didn't. But they were playing for it, and they were pretty excited about that. There's a lot of excitement along the way before ultimately Oklahoma won the conference again. And then it depends on who you got coming back if it just amps up your excitement. Right now, youth fans, they're just fired up beyond belief. Even though they're going to need a new defensive coordinator, they're fired up beyond belief. You want to explain that next? (laughs) Sure. PK will explain that next. Stay with us. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated. The past few years, the Jazz have gotten off to slow starts, and we try to come up with theories every single year as to why maybe they start a little slower than we would expect. Do you have any theories as to why that happens to teams? I don't. I mean, look, in any given season, it happens in this league. You guys know that this is generally my philosophy on these things. If you're an established team, I'm not worried about you getting off to a slow start. We know what the Jazz are. We know what they're capable of. They brought back whatever 90-something percent of their core. There's no reason to think this start is indicative of of some larger problem. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. And the snap goes high over the head of Big Ben, all the way back to the 2, to the 1, and the Browns have it in the end zone, and they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown! Carl Joseph's got it in the end zone! A touchdown! Not a bad start. 6 nothing Browns! Marquise Bouncy just sailed the ball over the head of Big Ben, who looked at James Conner. They raced back towards inside the 5-yard line. It went into the end zone. B.J. Goodson and Carl Joseph were over there, and Joseph recovers it. That is the Chevy Strong play of the game. The first play, Pittsburgh-Cleveland. It all went horribly wrong for the Steelers right from the start. Literally right from the start. So that's that's the play of the game. Know it today at 4.50, and you win fabulous prizes on the big show. All right, PK, you left us with a cliffhanger. I think some fans are up to this or up to speed on this one, but others are not. Please bring the whole class up to speed. 
Well, my buddy uh, Alex Markham reported on Twitter that the uh, possibility of Urban Meyer, which is growing strong, of him taking the Jacksonville Jaguars job of all jobs, getting the number one pick, that he'd be interested in hiring Morgan Scally uh, away from Utah. And, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to it. I don't know that Urban's going to take the job. I can't say that. I obviously have have no idea. I have no insight on that. Uh, that's out of my league as far as that goes. But uh, Utah is well within my league. And talking to folks, uh, yeah, that really comes as no surprise because I think Urban wanted to hire Morgan at Florida years ago. So naturally he would be interested in hiring him now. I think Morgan is high on Urban's list should Urban ever get back into coaching wherever he may go, whether it's college or pro, that doesn't matter. It's the pro that's uh, having the opportunity now. We'll see if he takes it. But, uh, you know, under the situation of what's going on, I was talking to somebody last night as far as, yeah, I think he takes it. Now, I've not spoken to Morgan by any stretch, uh, so I'm not going to claim direct knowledge on that. But speaking to folks around him, thinking that, yeah, that would be a good move for him to break away from Utah. And we know what happened last year with his coach and waiting being taken away. And Kyle looks like he's going to be there probably at least three or four years, maybe longer. We'll see when we get there. So uh, why not? You know, somebody told me that, hey, you look at Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson has uh, moved around a little bit, as we know, and now he's in the position of being interviewed for Boise State. You know more people when you move around. You make more contacts, build more relationships. Yeah, and uh, you thought he's thought of uh, pretty highly uh, in that in that way. So, uh, might be something that Morgan would consider. I think he definitely would consider it. It's just like I actually think that he would take it, uh, but I don't know if Urban will take it to put the wheels in motion. Well, we've heard the stories about uh, Urban is contacting people trying to build a staff, and we've heard the stories about, you know, Urban wants $12 million, which apparently would mess up the whole NFL coaching paycheck hierarchy. So is that just a negotiation, or is that something he can actually get? How desperate is Jacksonville? Uh, obviously, it's in northern Florida, so it's not that far from Gainesville, and so there's a lot of people that his name carries a lot of weight. A lot of weight. You know, the other thing that um, you kind of touched on here, which doesn't really have to do with that story, um, but, you know, Urban taking over Jacksonville, and they got the number one pick. So I don't know if Deshaun Watson is just making noise or if he's really going to try to force his way out of Houston, or maybe he just wants to make it clear how upset he is so they treat him differently there. I don't know how that's going to play out. But if if Deshaun Watson is actually going to get moved, the guy's 25 years old. He led the NFL in passing yardage. I mean, his star receiver got traded away. His coach got fired. It was total chaos. But you look at his stats, they're still good. He's 25. He's taken multiple teams to the playoffs. What would the price tag be for that guy? I would have to think it would be really high, and I'd have to think any of the teams that are up high in the draft that need a quarterback, you know, you're gonna, the, the rumor was Tua Tungavailoa and Miami. But if they assess somebody uh, and want the number one pick in the draft, could it be that? Or is it going to be players and a top 10 pick from another, another team? I don't know. Maybe nothing happens with Watson. He just stays put. And this is a lot of noise because his feelings are hurt. But, you know, they'll smooth it out because star quarterbacks don't get traded that often. I mean, they just don't. Not, not a guy of, you know, of Watson's level. Very rarely. It happens, but not very often. How does that relate to Urban? 
Would Urban want the number one pick in the draft, or would he move yeah. it and try to get Watson? No. Trevor Lawrence is going number one. No matter what. Right, I, and I get that, but I just don't know that Jacksonville still have the pick if they had a chance to go get Watson, if he's really going to be on the market. No, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number, number one, one pick. Number one pick to Jacksonville, Jacksonville. and yeah. everything else is just for show and internet clicks. I don't know about all, all that other stuff. I don't know what he mean. Jacksonville's taken to Trevor Lawrence. That's all that matters. I don't know about I, I don't know where you're going with that other stuff. Uh, I haven't heard of Jacksonville being rumored to be trading the number one pick. I mean, they, maybe when they get a coach in there and get close to the draft, possibly. But I think that people view Trevor Lawrence as a can't-miss pro- prospect of the highest level. And so why would you want somebody who's not as good? DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. The Jazz, 10 games down, 10 games in. What do you think of them? We got that question up on Facebook and on Twitter. You're answering that. We will get to the Jazz. Coming off back-to-back wins over the weekend in Milwaukee and in Detroit. We will get to that next. Stay with us.